Welcome back to Critical Powercast. Join us today as our host, Ruman Kabir, speaks with Brad Meisner, a product manager at Kohler Power Systems, about generator set emissions, today on Critical Powercast. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Critical Powercast. In this episode, we talk about generator emissions. Now, since this topic is so vast, we plan to have multiple episodes covering this. Um, but to start with, we'll talk about diesel generator emissions. And today I have with me Brad Meisner. He is the product manager for large diesel generator sets in Kohler Power Systems. And I am your host, Ruman Kabir. Brad, welcome to the show. And tell us a little about what you do as a product manager for large diesel generator sets. Well, first of all, Ruman, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So to answer your question about what I do at Kohler, so I currently work as a product manager with responsibility for the greater than 700 kW diesel generators for the North America region. What this means is I have responsibility for the strategy of that whole product line. I work closely with the sales, engineering, and operations teams to execute the strategy as well on a more of a tactical basis. Yeah, thanks, Brad. And you know, knowing and working with you, I know you're also a uh, an expert on emissions and other things, which brings us to you today. Uh, now, we all care about the environment and the emissions that goes into it. Tell us a little bit about who creates the emission standards that we have currently in place. All right. Well, without getting into too much of a history lesson, <laughs> so it's the U.S. Clean Air Act, which was originally put in place in the early 60s, that became the driving force behind the research, creation, and enforcement of the National Pollutant Emission Standards. It's the EPA, so the U.S. EPA, or the Environmental Protection Agency, for the full name, that is responsible for implementing and enforcing these federal regulations for pollutant emissions for both the on-highway and the off-road engines. So in addition, then, to these national standards, the EPA has given local environmental permitting agencies the ability to enforce more stringent regulations than these national standards. So where these often coincide with is a large metro area that also falls into an area that the Clean Air Act would classify as a non-attainment area for some given pollutant. So a non-attainment area would fall into the National Ambient Air Quality Standards, again defined by that Clean Air Act, um, as having quality worse than what they set as the national um, threshold. So a lot of jargon there. Uh, don't get too caught up in it. <laughs> the, the important thing to know is that in an area that um, has a large metro area and also a local air board usually has some regulations that are beyond the, the EPA levels. So for instance, like in California, they're not non-attainment for particulate matter. So they have many local air boards in like the LA County areas, in uh, Sacramento, within the Bay Area, that would enforce diesel emissions regulations beyond these, these standards. We're going to discuss those in a lot more depth in an upcoming podcast when we talk about compliant versus certified diesel emissions. I'll go into deeper 
on uh, them then. Um, but for now, just be aware that there are local uh, agencies that could have more strict emissions standards. No, thanks, Brad. And and that makes sense. You know, to to me, it seems like EPA sets the the minimum standard, uh, and depending on the area, they the local authorities can go stricter, but they cannot, you know, go below what the EPA requirements are. Uh, so that's that's great to know. Now, tell us a little bit about you know what are the the pollutants or the chemicals that the EPA are concerned about most when it comes to generator sets. All right. So the EPA, when they're setting pollutant emission levels for engines, they focus on six common pollutants. So there's ozone, particulate matter, which is like the soot that would come out of the uh, mm. the, the, the back pipe of a, of a diesel generator. There's carbon monoxide or CO, poisonous gas. And then there's nitrogen oxides, which is commonly known as NOx. And, in addition, there's also sulfur dioxide or SO2 and then lead. So the first four that I mentioned in ozone, particulate matter, CO, and NOx are the ones that are tested to qualify a diesel engine. Those are the ones that you're going to see listed on your emissions data sheet for the engine. Sulfur dioxide is also a concern for diesel engines, especially diesel generators. If you've heard the term uh, ULSD or ultra-low sulfur diesel, um, that's to control that sulfur output level of that diesel engine. Definitely have heard of ULSD fuels uh, for sure. Now, let's talk a little bit about the stationary diesel generator emissions. Which standards affect you know, those stationary diesel generator sets? Mm -hmm. So if we're talking specifically about stationary uh, diesel generator sets. There's really two standards uh, emission regulations that the owners, specifiers, specifying engineers are going to be required to uh, to know and adhere to. So the first is rice NESHAP. So this regulation is unique in that it applies to both existing and new engines. So the caveat here is that new engines that are meeting the new source performance standards are automatically compliant to rice NESHAP. So it kind of rules out a, a big category of this. So um, really rules just back to any engines built prior to model year 2007 when you're dealing with a generator. So it's old generators in the field really is what we're talking about. So it's the responsibility of the engine owner to review and comply with Rice NESHAP for their existing engine. And really the intent of this regulation is to reduce pollutants from a non-regulated, non-emergency use type engine. So when I say non-emergency, it means that emergency engines are excluded. So again, mm -hmm. we're kind of whittling down the affected population that's out there in, in the mm -hmm. U.S. Um, so to enforce this, the EPA has determined that carbon monoxide is the most effective indicator of these pollutants. So if you have an engine that's not in compliance, really what it relates to is that you're going to have to add on a diesel oxidation catalyst or, or DOC, which are widely available for many third-party suppliers. So the other one, and the more relevant, I would say, is the new source performance standards for stationary compression ignition engines, often referred to again as, as NSPS for CI engines. So this standard was first introduced in 2005 and was fully phased in by 2015. And this is really where the tier levels that we talk about often in the industry yeah. come from. 
that phase and period of tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the phase in that we talk about. So these emission levels are on various categories are based off of um, emission levels that came from other emission regulations like non-road diesel. Um, so they're not new. And that's why engines are often easily able to uh, comply with these levels without much redesign. So one of the distinct things about this is how it classifies emergency versus non-emergency engines. So emergency use engines, uh, such as those used by stationary generators for the sole purpose of backup power, are required to meet less emissions, uh, less stringent emissions levels than the non-emergency use engines. So when we talk about tier levels, uh, non-emergency use engine is going to have to meet uh, tier four levels. But a emergency engine is going to fall into a tier level below that or potentially meeting tier four. Really, the EPA looked and said, what are the levels that we can achieve without having to force after treatment equipment onto these engines? Because they're used in only in emergency situations, which are limited. And the overall effect on uh, pollutant emissions is low. Uh, regardless of having after treatment or not. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but what I take away from from your answer is, you know, there's really two parts. One was applied to kind of backtracking, try to keep older engines in, in check in terms of emissions. So that was the rise niche And then the more common standard now for any new en- engines that the manufacturer have to certify is this new source performance standards for compression emission or um, in other words, diesel engines, uh, which really has started from 2005, 2006 uh, and, and continues till now. Now you mentioned towards the end there about um, stationary emergency and non-emergency engines. that rings a bell because I know that about 80-90% of the products in a diesel generators we sell here in the U.S. Uh, meets or needs to meet that stationary emergency emission requirements. Now tell us how does one identify if a project will need a, a stationary emergency unit or not? Yeah, great question. And there's really two pieces to that. So there's the first piece is the stationary and the second piece is the emergency. emergency. So let's unpack both. So the stationary, that would be an off-highway engine permanently mounted in a single location. So think of a generator set mounted on a pad, certainly a stationary. Also, mm-hmm. if a generator is going to sit in one spot for more than 12 months on one site, one location, it could also fall within this stationary um, definition. The other piece, the emergency, is a little bit uh, more intricate. So this includes engines that are allowed unlimited use for emergencies. So think of an emergency as a power outage, a fire, a flood, all, all fit that emergency definition. A little bit more on the finer details as well. So they're allowed to operate for 100 hours per year for maintenance and testing. In addition to that 100 hours, and I shouldn't say in addition, part of that 100 hours, so specifically 50 hours of it, can be used for non-emergency situations as long as there is no financial agreement associated with it. So they can't be used for curtailment. They can't be used for peak shaving. Um, What it allows is something called storm abatement. So if a large storm Mm -hmm. is rolling through, a customer has the ability to turn their generator on, have it ready to go 
That way it ensures that their emergency power system has no glitches as it switches over and there's no hiccups in their operations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I could definitely see how that storm abatement could be uh, could be useful. So anything that is not those two, I'm, I, I'm guessing, is that non-emergency or stationary non-emergency category. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that category and, and mm-hmm. when those requirements are uh, are used. Yeah, another great question. So the EPA definition of a non-emergency engine is very simple. It's anything that falls outside of that emergency definition that I just provided you. So the most common types of these stationary non-emergency applications for a diesel generator would be a primary source of power. I think that's very simple. It's providing the primary source for the building instead of like a, like a utility power. You have demand response programs, commonly called uh, curtailment where you run a utility rate program with the, um, where you can be dropped from the utility and they can shed load um, from their that demand on, on the utility. And then they also have the peak shaving uh, generators application as well. Makes sense. I'm, I'm quite familiar with, with those as in, in the Northeast here where I reside, the demand response and, and load curtailments are, are fairly common. Um, we talked about the, the stationary generators a lot. Now that makes me wonder, what about those generators that you see in, uh, on a trailer in state fairs or like, you know, sporting events and stuff? What, do they need to meet, meet the same standard as these stationary emergency units? They're connected, but they're not exactly the same. So a generator on wheels or including any provisions to readily move them. So think of a lifting hook and a ruggedized skid to mount or put them on a trailer, mount them on a truck, those types of things, they would actually fall under a classification called non-road engines. This is the same category as construction equipment like bulldozers and loaders. And what that falls back into is the same regulations then that would force your engine to require Tier 4 emission certification as of 2015. Huh, makes sense. The, the other thing that <laughs> comes to my mind always when it comes to emissions is the ratings, right? We always hear about standby rating or prime rating or continuous rating. Are they related? Is the, the a standby rated generator always an emergency in terms of uh, EPA considerations? Short answer is no. So the EPA does not look specifically at the nameplate rating to determine how the generator is used. And there's nothing in the generator that forces them to be used in the application along with the nameplate rating. So you could have a prime rated generator that you're only running 200 hours in really an emergency use. Or you could have a standby rated generator that you're running 500, 600 hours more in that prime type of application. So make sure that when you're specifying out your generator, that you understand the difference between the two and you understand that the, how you're going to use the generator is what the EPA is going to use to determine the emissions rating. Again, that can tie back then to the rating uh, on, on the generator. If you have any questions on this, please just reach out to uh, one of your local cooler distributors for help. Certainly good things to understand. And, you know, that kind of uh, brings us towards the end. So 
you know, we covered a lot of ground today and there's more grounds to cover in future podcasts. But to you, when it comes to emissions, what are the you know couple of things that you want the audience to to remember or take away from this? Yeah, so as we talked here, I think the things I would pull back out and try to remind the listeners of would be that when specifying a generator, it's important to understand the application and the location of the installation to ensure that you're getting the right emissions rating on your generator. Also remember that the EPA certifies engines specifically based on how they were used, not based on how the nameplate rating of the generator is listed. So if you have any questions on this, you can reach out to your trusted Kohler uh, di distributor and they'll partner alongside you to ensure that we're able to use the full range of Kohler diesel generators to meet your regulation needs. Thank you. And, and I can certainly uh, second you on that. We have really, really knowledgeable distribution partners all over the, the country and the world um, who we re reach out to regularly to understand more. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there for uh, for our engineers and our users. Well, Brad, uh, thank you so much for giving us your time today. And uh, I certainly look forward to talking uh, with you more about emissions in the near future. Thank you, Ramon. Look forward to being on again in the future. All right, take care now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of Critical Powercast by Kohler and our very first episode on generator emissions. We'll be posting new episodes soon on emissions and various other topics, so stay tuned. Brad Meisner actually wrote a white paper specifically on the topic we talked about today. So if you want to check that out, we have linked the file in the description of this podcast. Until next time, from all of us at Kohler, I wish you well.